0: Hello and welcome to Dementia is Global. I'm Fenula Sweeney. According to the World Alzheimer Report in 2018, about 50 million people are living with dementia around the world. By 2050, that number is expected to triple to 152 million the Global Brain Health Institute works to reduce the scale and impact of dementia and protect the world's aging population from threats to brain health. Based at both University of California, San Francisco, and Trinity College, Dublin, GBHI trains and connects the next generation of leaders in brain health through the Atlantic Fellows for Equity and Brain Health Program. Professor Ian Robertson is co-director of GBHI at Trinity College, Dublin, I asked him to explain what dementia is.
1: Dementia is a basket term for a general loss of neurocognitive function and changes in behaviour and personality that go with this. There's a number of different causes, most of which are poorly understood. The most common kind of dementia is Alzheimer's disease, which tends to be in most cases something that comes later in life and there's a strong correlation with age. So the The older you are, the higher the likelihood you will suffer from Alzheimer's disease. There are other types of dementia, for instance, frontotemporal dementia and Lewy body dementia. But the biggest one we'll face is Alzheimer's disease.
0: Why are we going to be hearing about dementia much more in the coming decades? We're going to hear about it because
1: of our success in increasing the lifespan across the globe, not just in developed countries. In fact, the changes have been much more dramatic and low in low and middle-income countries that people are living much, much longer. There's a correlation between age and risk of Alzheimer's disease. And so as the populations age, so you get an inevitable increase in Alzheimer's disease to the extent that we can foresee, I'm afraid, up to a tripling of the rates of dementia over the next 30 to 40 years particularly in those countries that can least afford to deal with it. Because there is a prevalence of dementia among poorer, less educated societies, but also because these are the societies with the most dramatic lengthening of life expectancy. And so you're getting this very steep increase in the proportion of people over 80, over 70 in these countries because of very rapid demographic changes. The demographic changes are increasing the proportion of people in old age in countries where there was previously quite a small number of people reached old age. And because Alzheimer's disease is hugely associated with old age, you're getting this rapid increase. We're victims of our own success and increasing bodily health, but we haven't managed to do the same for brain health.
0: There has been an increased focus in recent months and years on dementia prevention and an increasing awareness of brain health, which probably you would argue isn't where it should be, generally speaking. But what can be done to help prevent dementia? An awful lot can be done to prevent
1: dementia, but we're in a mindset of fatalism vis-a-vis dementia. If you look at heart health, when I was growing up in the 1950s, one's friend's parents would not infrequently have a heart attack and drop dead in their 50s and 60s, and this wasn't regarded as anything unusual, this was regarded as part of life. Nobody was out jogging, nobody was going to the gyms in the 1950s, and now we have a situation where it is very unusual to see someone of that age group dying of a heart attack. Why is that? Because of lifestyle and behaviour changes that have led to us preventing heart disease, not completely, but to a huge degree. That took decades. That took decades, and it was based on a big longitudinal study called the Framingham Study in the States in the 1950s, where they suddenly saw that things like blood pressure, cholesterol, physical exercise and diet were actually huge contributors to heart disease. So people caught on to that, and you had the whole aerobics movement of the 1980s, Jane Fonda and everything, and then people changed their diet, people became aware of it, they went to their doctors and had their blood pressure checked, they got their blood pressure controlled, and suddenly we managed to more than half the rate of heart disease. We can do the same with dementia, but we have to be proactive and optimistic about it and not fatalistic.
0: How would you advise anyone who's concerned about developing dementia in later life to change their lifestyle? There is that adage, what's Mm -hmm. good for the heart is good for the brain.
1: Yes, and indeed, what's good for the heart is good for the brain. If you eat a healthy diet, rich in fish and highly coloured fruits and vegetables and minimise your saturated fats, that will affect the cardiovascular system, including the vascular system in your brain, which is hugely related to Alzheimer's disease. If you take regular physical exercise, you will again improve the cardiovascular system, including that in your brain. If you don't smoke, if you try and keep some control over your stress, you can never eliminate stress completely, All of these things will really benefit you, but there are additional things that are specific to the brain that are not just about cardiac health. And one of these is mental stimulation. That is having a sense of engagement with the world, a sense of having real purpose of maintaining what I call challenge, change and new learning in your life because one of the differences between old age and young age is that we challenge our brains much less in older age than we do when we're in our teens and twenties we don't have to learn stuff and so we can become rather lazy and there's very strong evidence that intellectually stimulating a brain engaging in new learning actually helps build networks in the brain that because they're better connected, when the disease comes in, they can better cope with that, and so you'll get a much slower decline even if you have the disease.
0: Do we have any evidence for how much that development can be slowed? Current estimates
1: are that we can at least prevent about 30% of cases of dementia with current knowledge. If we sorted out all these things I've just been talking about, if people change their behavior, at least a third of people could reduce their risk In other words, physical old age would take over before their brains gave out, if you like. So what we're looking for here is to bring the brain health in line with physical health. The physical health, we've done an amazing job increasing. But the brain health hasn't kept pace with that. People in their 90s, as many as 50% of them, will be having dementia-related problems. So what we want to do is to get people living into their 90s and the 100s, but we want to maintain their cognitive function that way. We don't know yet just how many years we can add to the brain life. We just don't know that research. Not enough has been done on that. But we're pretty sure we can do it.
0: Presumably psychological well-being is also contributory factor to dementia prevention.
1: Yes, yeah, psychological well-being is incredibly important. Chronic stress actually causes the body to secrete too many of certain hormones like cortisol that actually, if they're in high levels and sustained over long periods, do the opposite of what the brain stimulation does. They corrode some of the networks in the brain, they reduce the connections and so make the brain more vulnerable to disease. We can never get rid of stress, and there's some evidence that moderate degrees of stress in older people can actually be protective because it makes them up their game, it gives them a challenge, even though it's not that pleasant. For instance, if their spouse gets a serious illness like stroke or cancer, they have to then suddenly do all sorts of new stuff. Paradoxically, that can maintain their brain function. So it's not that all stress is bad and we should be frightened of it, but chronic stress where you don't feel in control That can produce, usually temporary, but sometimes if it's prolonged, permanent changes to the brain, that makes you more vulnerable to the disease.
0: This brings me on to something that I know is of interest to you and may be of interest to people who are listening who are concerned about dementia prevention. Self-care for the brain. There is an increasing awareness of the importance of self-care for the brain. Are there steps that people can take to look after their brains?
1: There certainly are steps they can take to look after their brains, apart from the not smoking, not drinking too much alcohol. A bit of alcohol is fine, but not drinking too much alcohol. Critical is having, particularly as people get older, is having a sense of purpose and a sense of connection with other people. Some people, if they decide to take the step of retiring, cope fine with that, but some other people feel a bit of the meaning sucked out of their lives. The thing about work, you may not like going into work, but there are other people there. And other people are a huge source of brain stimulation. But there's also a sense of moving towards goals.
0: Value, purpose, community. Yeah,
1: and then also there is a sense of status. Having a sense of status, that is the respect of other people, a sense of rank, if you like, in society. Some people lose that sense of rank when they retire. And that actually has direct effects on the brain, in a part of the brain called the reward network that's related to the neurotransmitter dopamine. So people can end up if you like, accelerating changes in key neurotransmitters in their brain by the way they relate to society. And that's why it's so important for people to, I think, give up the word retire, which is a horrible word. By all means, stop doing a job if you can afford to that you don't like. People are not old when they're 70 anymore, the way they were 50 years ago. They're biologically young. You've got a huge amount to contribute to society when you're that age and older. Wisdom. Wisdom, energy, lack of selfish need to pursue your own ends, but be able to contribute to the greater good. To me, that's one of the greatest sources of self-care for the brain.
0: In this series for the Global Brain Health Institute podcasts, we're talking to various people about various aspects of dementia. In this conversation, we've been talking about the individual and how to prevent dementia or steps that can be taken What about attitudes in wider society to someone who might develop dementia, how that makes that person feel, and are there steps that we can take generally in our approach towards people who are clearly showing signs of dementia? Can we recognize those signs for a start? People
1: tend to be frightened because you see someone who breaks the rules of normal social discourse, maybe asks you the same question several times, maybe disoriented, maybe gets a bit upset because they misperceive what's going on. So there's a tendency to isolate people, to stay away from people like that because you feel you don't quite know what they're going to do and you're just uncertain. People are frightened of dementia. And that's really bad for people with dementia because that sense of isolation, that sense of connection goes and so that will diminish their existing brain capacity, if you like. But the positives of relating to someone with dementia are that it can be a challenge for you to break out of your normal everyday way of thinking, to engage in that playfulness, to engage your own creativity. To take you off the treadmill of goal driven communication and getting ahead in life. Suddenly you're with someone with dementia where time doesn't mean the same as it does in our driven workaholic world. Instant
0: gratification society. It's,
1: yes. So there's an opportunity, a bit like the opportunity you have maybe with a young child. You can't engage in that goal-driven behaviour of the young child. You have to follow the flow. You have to be playful. So there's an opportunity with people with dementia to step off the treadmill and to see it as a challenge to engage in your own capacity for playful interaction, for not asking questions that challenge their recent memory, but asking them to reminisce. What was it like in the 1950s? Tell me about what it was like in school when you were a child. If you can get into their frame of mind where reminiscence, if you like, these long-term memories are much easier for them to engage, you will find people come out of themselves and take you to places you might not otherwise have gone.
0: What does it say about us as a society that we need to think about how we approach people with dementia? For example, I know in Japan that steps have been taken to alert the public to someone who looks a little confused in the street, for example. And I'm wondering, as we speak in the Western society, Northern Hemisphere, is there a gift for society if we could change our approach to people with dementia, making us more patient, perhaps a little kinder?
1: There is definitely a gift for society in stepping off the treadmill of day-to-day life. We know that kindness, that altruism, is incredibly beneficial to the person who's giving it, Mm. (laughs) even more than the person who's getting it. And good for the brain. And good for the (laughs) brain, yeah. Helping someone who's confused can actually be a real source of well-being for someone
0: So being kind to people with dementia, being aware that someone might have a little difficulty, these are all things that can help the person living with dementia to live better with dementia and help us as individuals and perhaps greater as a society as well. To go back to the big picture, people are living longer and therefore more at risk of developing this disease. Why is this happening in developing countries?
1: There is the fact that you've got a hugely rapid growth in people who are older in these developing countries because we've been so successful in making people live longer. Until now, most people who would have developed dementia have died before the dementia sets in. That's no longer happening because we've reduced child poverty, we've increased literacy. Smallpox, for instance, we've eliminated it. But that's not the only thing. The fact is that the poorer you are and the more stress you're under the more vulnerable you are to dementia. Why? Because just as your physical health is degraded by the friction, the challenge, the difficulties of trying to survive, trying to make a living, particularly if you're surrounded by crime and violence, all of these things degrade the physical body. And if it's degrading the physical body, it will degrade the brain as well. So socioeconomic inequity is the largest source of reduction of brain reserve, that reserve that will allow your brain to adapt and to cope with disease and to keep you functioning and not make you dependent. That's why, as with many physical health problems, we have to take a policy approach to this. We have to realise that huge inequity is going to result in greater Levels of dementia.
0: Which, in some ways, is what the Global Brain Health Institute is all about in terms of trying to provide equity as part of the wider fellowship of seven programs around the world, challenging and tackling inequity.
1: That's right. That's why we don't want to take an over medical approach to dementia. We have to recognize that, like all other health problems, you have to look at it in the context and you have to see it in the terms of the society and the world that people are living in. Sometimes we have to pursue a twin track approach. We have to find methods for individuals to reduce their risk of dementia. But we also have to try and help governments and societies develop policies that are going to diminish some of these factors that are going to put stresses on the brain and so make the brain more vulnerable
0: to dementia. And I think GBHI is about to have its fourth cohort. That's right. So what are you expecting to see after the 15 years for which there has been funding for the Global Brain Health Institute in terms of impact?
1: The overarching goal is to help stave off the otherwise inexorable tripling of dementia rates across the world over the next 30 years to reduce the difference between the improvement in physical health and the improvement in brain health, to narrow that gap. So let me give you two examples of how we can do that. For instance, two of our fellows just graduating this year are architects. We've seen how in the 1990s, architecture changed because buildings had to become open to people with physical disabilities. So the design principles, the design regulations for buildings changed around the world to allow people with wheelchairs and disabilities to access them. But there is now a need to do the same for sensory and cognitive deficits, to design environments to allow people to function in spite of sensory and cognitive deficits We have two brilliant architects who are working on this, working with the WHO, working with governments to try and change the regulations so that across the world, suddenly you will have towns and buildings where people are not made stressed and confused by poor design. If you have someone who's maybe on the verges of coping, they can be tipped over into real cognitive loss and stress and into an inexorable cycle that could lead to them having to go into a nursing home, by virtue sometimes of quite simple, remediable design features of the environment, I believe we will influence the design principles of the world, eventually or much of the world, and that will have huge impact on dementia rates. One of our fellows in Brazil, there's a large amount of illiteracy there. So her aim is to see if you do adult literacy training, Do you find changes in the brains of adults who are undergoing literacy training that would lead you to suspect this will protect them against dementia? If that happens, then we suddenly have evidence to go to governments around the world to say, look, curing illiteracy is not just about the problems illiteracy causes itself. You can help prevent your dementia and the huge costs your country incurs because of that dementia, if you introduce literacy programs for your adults. That's just two examples. For every one of these examples, there's a dozen others from our amazing fellows across the world.
0: So essentially, 15 years from now, you would like to see the foundations in place, if not more, of changing attitudes towards people with dementia, not only and across societies, but across governments as well, business.
1: Yes, changing attitudes towards people with dementia and a sense of optimism that you can actually work with vulnerable groups to prevent them tipping over into dementia.
0: we leave it there. Professor Ian Robertson, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Ian Robertson of the Global Brain Health Institute. For more information, you can visit www.gbhi.org. I'm Fanula Sweeney, and you've been listening to Dementia is Global.